Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the films Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. You do not have to have seen the films to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed and listen without having seen them, just be aware that we discuss the plot and it will be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Is that just? Is that we should have that music, that noise like going on in the background the whole time we're recording? Just, just, uh, just like someone, someone, just a guy in the corner. Like this is how they did it in Blade Runner, right? Actually, you know how um, Alfred Hitchcock would sometimes get like people to make sounds, like record people doing stuff as sounds. There'd just be a guy in the corner of the room, like crumpling a piece of paper, and that's the fire or whatever. That's how they did it in Blade Runner. So Vangelis, who's the guy who did the score, a lot of the time it was actually just him. He's just kind of standing slightly off camera, off set, just behind the camera, just going. <laughs> That's exactly right. So really, if we were committed to the the films that we're talking about this episode, if we really cared about you, the listeners, if we really had that kind of dedication, we'd get a guy to just stand in the corner. Actually, we need two guys because we're not recording in the same room. A guy to just stand in the corner of the room and go. But we haven't done it, have we? No, we should have thought about that in advance. Yeah, we? we don't. We don't plan shit. This is why we're not Ridley Scott. We didn't think to have a dude standing in every scene going. Ridley Scott. <laughs> Wrigley um, Scott is about ninety years old, and I did not realise this until recently. He's been he's been around for a very long time. He is a true veteran. Yeah, is that true veteran in every sense of the word? Ridley Scott is a very interesting filmmaker. Yeah. Oh, he's he's eighty one. Okay, that's still that's a very good age. So when he made this, the original Blade Runner, thirty seven years ago, he's in his forties. Mm-hmm. That's mad. Yeah, you'd assume he was a young buck. No, he was already, I mean, because his big, you know, three years previously, he'd made Alien. Right. Um, yes. At, but even then, he'd been around making television shows and things like that for a good decade and a half. So, you know, he he was, he was, wasn't exactly a spring chicken fresh out of film school when he started making all of these big movies. No, it's it's a good it's good to have people like that in mind as well, isn't it? Especially you know our culture today really praises youth so much, and it's actually it's almost about to reach some kind of weird tipping point, isn't it? Because all of the stars of YouTube and Instagram are all twelve years old, and then there's people like us who are just into our thirties, and we just feel I feel ancient. I don't know about you, but like I feel really ancient sometimes, and it's like maybe you know obviously we've directed lots of successful films, you know, sensations. Um, Opposite day and <laughs> opposite day, the um, standout favorite, Jelly Storm. That that one didn't do so well. Um, no, it was a bit of a box office flop, wasn't it, Jelly Storm? Yeah, yeah. I think it'll it will make it back on home media when it comes out. But, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. So obviously we've directed lots of successful films, but we haven't quite reached Ridley Scott heights of stardom. But we got plenty of time. We we do we do have plenty of time in our hands before we reach Alien Age, and it's one of those things where I don't know about you, but when you're a real young kid, you look at your dream jobs and you think, right, I by the time I'm that age, I'll be doing this. Yep. So it'll be like, but by the time you're about nine years old, you're already too old to be a Formula One driver because by <laughs> that point you need to be kart racing. And also a but, jockey because they're all tiny, <laughs> tiny yes, children who stop yeah. growing at the age of nine. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be a professional footballer, probably by about 11, 12, it's probably a bit too late for you to be top tier um you're looking at mid-20s to being a successful musician um you've got outliers like franz ferdinand for instance they got big when they were in their early 30s oh is that right but yeah but i most, did most, not know mo- that 
their lead, their lead singer people, is a handsome, handsome, quite youthful-looking guy. He's an incredibly handsome man, and I think he's one of those ageless people who's never going to look any older than he was yeah. when, when Franz Ferdinand first made it big. Um, but most most bands, you know, early to mid twenties, you'd say. There's a there's a few outliers yeah. here and there. So why are um, we bothering with music again? We should just give up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we should just just give up and accept our fates of doing boring jobs for the rest of our lives. Um, but, you know, to be a filmmaker, you're looking at a bit older. To be an author, there's no real age limit on that. You get people whose breakthroughs come well into their later years. Yep. Um, so that's what I'm holding out for. I'm holding out for 65, releasing a thrilling debut novel, and then dying. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my life are you going to at least wait until the launch party or are you going to die before then i'm going to die at the launch party <laughs> what a way to go is, is it like you're going to tell me you're going to do it? it's like a gg allen thing <laughs> yes no it's <laughs> what's going to happen is i'm going to be at a reading um and I, i'm going to time it just right so that it seems like it's a dramatic pause before a particularly horrific moment of the novel oh no and then i'm just going to die there in that dramatic pause like tommy cooper just... <laughs> Yes, exactly. Tommy exactly. Cooper's That's death Tommy is Cooper. on YouTube, incidentally. I don't know how that doesn't violate the Ooh. codes or whatever, but you can watch him literally That's die a... on stage on YouTube if you want. That's a bit grim. I'm not really sure that should be a thing. Would you rather watch that or watch 12 hours of um, children playing video games and saying the N-word? <laughs> Which is what half That's of YouTube's content point. is. That's a very good point. Um, or people making videos about how it's totally fine that they had a heated gaming moment, which I believe is the the term used. Yeah. Oh no, I, I'm just here for the apology videos. That's my <laughs> that's my favourite genre of YouTube video. I'm sorry, I'm a disgusting creep. This is the best kind of YouTube video. I'm very bad, but also I'm good. I'm very bad. Here, buy some merch. Yeah. I am very, very bad, says the handsome young man as he leans into the camera with a bobble hat with his his name on it. Yeah, pointing to the hat. Um, So we're kind of living in a capitalist dystopia right now. Yeah. But it's funny that this is the year 2019 is the year that the original Blade Runner was set. Yes. Yeah. It's it's very different. But at the same time, where's my replicant butler? At the same time, there's some things in there which are kind of, kind of prescient, I suppose. Yeah. Um, which is which is really interesting, and I suppose you think about Blade Runner's great sort of impact being on the films around it. So the Blade Runner skyline, that whole kind of scenery, the focus of the film, and and the sort of sci-fi noir combination, all of those elements have become quintessential to the science fiction genre as a whole. Yeah, it's in, it's incredible, but and. Um... I even watching it now um, in the context of all of the stuff that followed and knowing that that's kind of what a lot of sci-fi films are like and it establishes those tropes and that it still feels so it feels new and it feels jarring and it feels exciting and it feels so different to anything else even now that I can't imagine what it was like watching that in 1982. Yes, exactly. I mean, the, the opening shots of Blade Runner, I still think are some of the best in cinema. Um, and and like you said, you get all of these movies or, or shows that try and emulate it. Um, Grade Runner. Netf- <laughs> Netflix did a really interesting series based on a sci-fi novel um, called Altered Carbon. Yeah, we which... we published the book of that. Oh fact, right, okay. Uh, a colleague and friend of mine is the guy who did the uh, the deal with Netflix to get it to the rights deal. Oh, excellent! Because it's a book that I read back in the day and thought this is very cool. It's basically Blade Runnery. You've got a gumshoe in a dystopian sci-fi future. I love um, that word, gumshoe. It is a great word. Incidentally, that word features in the theme song to the cartoon Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. And I (laughs) only realized that this year, even though I watched that cartoon endlessly as a child. Where does it come? It's in the the very beginning. It goes, sometimes some crimes go slipping through the cracks, but these two gumshoes... I'll picking up the slack. There's no case too big, no case too small. If you need help, just call Ch 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 Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers. I had to do the whole thing. Once you're in the flow, you, yeah. you've got to keep going. Yeah. See, for me, for me, that theme tune is like permanently an eight-bit game soundtrack. Yeah. Because the game is one of my favorites of all time. So good. Um, and so I, whenever I think of it, I just think of the chip tune version. Um, so best cartoon detectives, 
Sharky and George or Chippendale? Chippendale all the way, 100%. Sharky and George are rubbish. They like get to a ravine and they try to decide how to cross it. Like Just swim across, you're under the <laughs> swim sea. Across. Isn't one of them on roller skates? Why would you be on roller skates under the sea? It's because they're so pure good at idiocy. That <laughs> 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 they just they 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 they're done with swimming. They're on a higher plane. Is this your cancelled moment, Paddy? Is this? Oh, am I about to be cancelled? <laughs> hashtag cancelled for your dislike of Sharky and George. Yeah, no, Sharky and George are okay, but no, um, yeah, I have a real soft spot for Chippendales Rescue Rangers. I have a playlist for for Eric of like fun songs, so not lullaby songs. It's a mixture of like kids songs and both the theme tune to Chippendales Rescue Rangers and the theme tune to DuckTales are on there and there are versions on Spotify that are done by like a band that does covers of all Disney theme tunes except they're like extended versions so it's like a five minute version of the Chippendale theme tune with a massive sax solo in the middle oh that's amazing incredible I will put it in the show notes um, speaking of fun songs, I take it honky donk badonka donk on the list. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's it's very very <laughs> important that that I train my son in the the art of misogyny as early as possible. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to get it done, haven't you? Yeah. Um. So so speaking of misogyny, this this, this goes very well into <laughs> speaking of misogyny. Lord have mercy, how she even get them riches on? Oh no, no. It's um. There ought to be a law. Get the sheriff on the phone. Lord of mercy, how she even get them riches on with that honky tonk, but donk a donk. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. So, t- totally normal song. So totally normal song, but Blade Runner itself, yeah, um, is interesting because there's various levels of misogyny in it. Some of them, and I think a lot of people make out the the misogyny of um the, the sort of main love uh the main love scene in the movie is you know effectively a, abuse and coercion yeah and a lot of people criticize the film for it but i do think i don't know it seems as though it took people a very long time to work out that in reality you are watching blade runner through the eyes of the villain yes and i wonder how much of that plays into that scene and how much of that scene plays into aping the romantic scenes of 1940s and 1950s detective movies which it so clearly is emulating and i think it it personally i think you know it's a very problematic scene particularly when people don't recognize the subtext of the movie um but i do wonder about how much of it is kind of missing the point i guess yeah and really it's only one scene what's interesting about it is that especially in the context of blade runner 2049 as well so i did manage to watch both so it's interesting to talk about them together and how much blade runner 2049 takes that romance and builds upon it and what it takes from that to build this this whole new film is really interesting because actually there's very little of the romance there it's there's basically kind of two or three scenes where he, okay, he he meets her and there's like it's like is she flirting with him? She she's a replicant, whatever. There's a, there's another one where she's kind of she like shows up or he shows up and she's there and she's all I promise you I'm I'm like a real person and then he's like get away from me and then there's one where it's like oh I, you saved my life I like you now but I'm gonna force you and yeah it's really it's really really strange but it's not like it's a long nuanced love story told through lots of scenes of dialogue and a build-up of intimacy and all those things because those would distract from the the sort of dystopian vision of the future and the questions that it's asking about what it means to be human almost so really the the love the romantic plot in Blade Runner itself only is only really there in service to him sort of leaving with her at the end of the film and that that becoming the kind of the, the conclusion of it that's when it brings it sort of back to the romantic plot but really it's all working up to the tears and rain speech and everything that happens after it isn't that big a deal right exactly in the first movie it's very much kind of there as a a thematic run almost at who's the real robot and who's the real villain of this piece And, and and that's the main question of blade runner is you know um these these people have been forced to work in horribly toxic dangerous conditions purely because they happen to be fabricated there's so little separating them and their emotions and their 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 humanity from from human beings um that you're you're left asking the questions why should we be celebrating 
their deaths? Why should we be celebrating the failure of their plan to escape from this life that they never had any choice in? Um, and and um, Rachel's part in that is to show that there is this humanity and that as time goes on the these creatures these replicants you know they're they're billed as androids but in reality you know they bleed um they feel pain they feel emotion they are irrational um they feel the desires yes the only things that separate them from from us are increased strength and this this time span you know they've only got four years to live yeah in the universe of the original Blade Runner, of course. In Blade Runner 2049, they're all well advanced. Yes, yeah. Um, and so it's it's interesting how in the first movie, it's kind of just there as a little bit of an extra, yeah, in case you don't get what this movie is about, here's, here's an even further additional part of it. <laughs> and, it, and it. And it plays into that role of the, the big question of is, is, is Deckard a replicant or is he not yeah. as well? And and so which which version of Blade Runner did you watch? Did you watch the director's cut? I watched the final the, cut. The final cut. Okay. Which yeah, I think is here. the only one that I've seen actually. Have you seen any of the other versions? So I have seen the director's cut and I've seen the final cut and I think there's only a couple of bits different between the two. Um they're pretty similar. I've never seen the original Blade Runner. Um the one that's much maligned because of uh executive meddling. Yeah, what was what did they do to it? So the most important thing they did was they added a voiceover from Deckard that turned up every so often to really amplify that feeling of it being a detective oh, story. But they added that mainly as a way to make sure audiences knew what was going on. So he he basically, apparently he basically says things like, now I don't know if I'm a human or a robot <laughs> and things like that. Um, and they also so, added a... Do I love s- this sexy replicant? I don't know. <laughs> exactly um and then they added on a a scene at the end showing that they did make it off world and everything's happy ever after oh what boo um whereas the the ambiguity of the ending of well the ambiguity of the ending of both films is what makes them so interesting yeah for sure Um, actually all that yeah happens at the end of blade runner is yeah they they leave Uh, oh and you have the uh the the like not he's not quite a boss guy is he the guy edward james almost plays he turns up and he's like you know, he basically wishes him happiness in, in their relationship, which is kind of really nice. And then he shows up playing the same character again in 2049, which is very, which was a very nice touch, I thought. Yeah, so, so Gaff's character Gaff, um, that's it. is really interesting because, you know, you get that sense that he has sympathy, but at the same time, it's not going to stop him from hunting him down. And, you know, at the end, you see like the, the little... Um, unicorn is it a unicorn or the horse that he's left so clearly he's been to the apartment the horse yeah and you're like mm, you know how far is he going to chase them down yeah um and it is it's really interesting the way that that that's kind of built into it there's this ruthlessness um to the blade runner universe um and and, and you see it everywhere you see it on the streets you see it with like the the minor characters as well um in that everyone's got this role to play and none of them are making the world any better no and it doesn't ask you to go to look at it and think oh they could make the world better it's just (laughs) this is the world and this is how it is and here's a character who maybe has found some love in amongst all of it but it's still a really fucked up world yes yeah um and so it's interesting and and what's fascinating is the way that that then builds into the sequel where you've got this love story kind of in the first one, but it's more like it's desperation, isn't it? You've got that real sense of desperation. But then in the second film, that whole story becomes integral to the entire plot. Um, and And I don't know, it's interesting because... You don't get that sense from watching the first movie that it's going to become this great thing that's going to potentially shape the future of the world. Um, more that it's these two people that want to disappear together and have nothing more to do with the world and, and find their own peace. Um, but I like that it did that, actually. I think that was a good part of it to build upon. Because there, there's any, you know, you if you're going to do you know 30 years on from then obviously there's going to be more advanced replicants obviously it's going to be more dystopian there's going to be more slavery and bad shit and you know the los angeles is going to look even more and more like a very very sweaty dark and fucked up hong kong but 
you know, well, I think if they hadn't focused on that element, you'd have just instead, it would have just stepped in about like the meanness of the Wallace Corporation. And there would have been even more scenes of Jared Leto acting like he's in a high school play. <laughs> I don't know what it is about Jared Leto. I just can't take him seriously. Do you find that? <laughs> I, I, I find that sometimes I I can get on board with Jared Leto. Like in um, American Psycho, he's really good. I feel like when he's got that kind of supportive role where he's a bit more of a naive person, it works quite well. Um, so Lord of War is another example, which is one of those rare things of a relatively recent good Nick Cage movie. Oh, yeah, you were um, telling me about that. Which is actually it's a pretty decent film, Lord of War. Um, whereas when he's playing that kind of malevolent um, sort of secondary character, he just often comes across as a bit too smug. Do you not think? Yeah, and, and absolutely. And this is the prime example of it. He just, he's, I can't believe he's 47 years old. He looks 12. Even with the, even with the beard <laughs> even somehow. With the beard. He just, yeah, he just looks like a 12 year old boy sort of playing a, a ridiculous villain. Really, what they should have done is get Eddie Redmayne to do his um, Jupiter Ascending thing. Oh, that would have and been good. Walk around the room talking like this. Uh, I make I make the robots. I want That's the robots to fuck so there can be more of them. Uh, I want more <laughs> robots, and I want them to make their own robots. Yeah, oh, and yeah. oh. what, what was his justification for that? Just that he wants there to be lots of them, just because. Yeah, I think it's what happens to any tech bro who gets too much money and is too isolated. They start going doolally. Oh, so he's he's an Elon Musk type. Yeah, he's 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 future Musk is what he is. Yeah, God, can you imagine if Elon Musk's corporation was making replicants? <laughs> Not only would it be really bad, but he would be insufferable about it. He's already insufferable <laughs> enough, isn't he? Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's 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 interesting, and I think it's interesting the way that they framed it as people, um, like this this huge blackout. And someone rising from that to recreate um, this huge mega corporation, and so yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, it it definitely is. And I, the scenes where he is in there, the, they are stunning. The the kind of the the weird rooms you've got, where it's like you don't even know if the room has a ceiling. It's all kind of expanding out. It makes incredible use of the like the widescreen format and all these kind of wide images. And there's very little of his face, actually. It's just a lot of him talking and then there's kind of long shots. Like, all of that stuff works really, really well, so you do still take it seriously. But occasionally you do get a shot of his face and he just sort of looks like a sort of prancing cat boy. And it just it just, it just, just made me <laughs> laugh and I don't know why. Yeah. So is, is this the first time that you'd seen Blade Runner 2049? Yes, it was, yeah. I didn't see it in the cinema. Because I saw it in the cinema and I still think it's a really fuck you audience move to end your movie with a good 15 minutes of running water when it's pushing three hours in length. <laughs> you've got all those you've got all those people who have stuck it out in this. It's a very slow movie. It's a very thoughtful film. Um, yeah. And you've got all those people that have stuck it out to the end, not not taking a loo break. And then you're like, right. Let's have the end of the movie in the middle of a storm by the edge of the ocean. <laughs> yeah, lots, lots of sloshing around, and then it becomes snow, which is somehow worse. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> do you do you get um, up to pee in the cinema? I try not to. Um, I, I I try to stay stick it out whenever I can because I feel like I want to. Particularly if I've paid to go to the cinema, I want to make sure that I don't miss anything dramatic. Yeah. But this was a this was a great movie to watch in the cinema. Yeah, I can imagine that would be a really good experience. Even though, as you say, it is extremely long, but I reckon I could hold it. Even though generally, I I like I think I go to pee quite a lot. I, I think I have like I don't think I have the strongest bladder, but for somehow in the cinema it just locks down. I'm like I'm there. I'm not going out. I want to see this film. I'm going to be watching this. Going to be watching this movie. Um and and so, what were your thoughts of Blade Runner twenty forty nine then? Yeah, having, having have, being a fan of the original, going in and watching this film, this sequel, however many years later. Yeah, I, I liked it. I, th I thought it was good. I thought it built, as you say, it took the most interesting elements of Blade Runner and it built upon it in a really, really interesting way. And it, <coughs> it, it had the um, 
the languidness of the original Blade Runner and it made it, it took it and made it even more languid. So even though it was so long, at, t- at times it was maybe a little bit hard to follow. And it's like, okay, so he's not the kid, but it is her and whatever. So like the plot was almost not as interesting as the interactions between the characters themselves and the, just the how it all fitted into the original Blade Runner was the most interesting part of it. So I think what it did in building upon the original film was was really, really good. And I, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. But it was long and it was it was dour. And I think Ryan Gosling's quite dour in it. He's really, really emotionless. And I know that's kind of the point. But at least with, yeah, with um, like Deckard and Roy Batty and all the other characters, you feel like they, they do have a lot of emotion and there's there's an element of fun to them. Whereas he's just kind of, uh, uh, you know, he's really, really one note. But it's still good. Yes, it's a very, you, you've hit the nail on the head by calling it a dour film because it really is. So whereas you've got that energy from, um, from Roy Batty in particular in the original film, um, here it's really quite muted all the way through. And I, and I kind of love that because what you, what's great about Blade Runner 2049 is it says, oh, you thought, you thought the first movie was fucked. Well, here, here's how it is 30 years <laughs> later when everything's got a bit worse. Yeah. Um, so, so it opens with... You thought the this... first movie was slow? Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so it opens with rather than this, um, this beautiful shot of this dystopian cityscape, um, instead it's now the grey wastelands filled with maggot farms. And, and then it's a, a quiet conversation between Ryan Gosling and Dave Bautista, who I think is great. It's such a small yeah. performance, but it, it sets the tone and it sets the brutality of the movie. What does he so say? Perfectly. You've never seen a miracle. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and immediately you're like, ooh, what the fuck has happened? What has happened to change? And you get this sense immediately that the world is about to change. There, there is going to be this shift. And he says, "I." He offers him lunch, and then Ryan Gosling goes, "Oh no, I, I only eat after I've done the hard day's work." And yes. then you just see the pot boiling on the stove. So you don't know whether he ate it or not. But do replicants eat? You yeah, see so him you see... eating, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Later on, you see him eating because I mean, what the way that I kind of think of them is that they're basically just vat-grown humans. Yeah um rather than anything else and that's the only Um, thing that i want more of actually in both films is actually more about that stuff you know how are they grown do they eat what what are the differences between them and humans in detail which is beside the point but i think that's a sign of good world building when actually you want to know even more of it right yes exactly and and i do i worry that sharing too much more detail might ruin it a little bit Although Blade Runner 2049, of course, exists to answer the most important question about replicants, which is, can they fuck? And the, and the answer <laughs> exactly. is yes. The answer is yes, they can fuck. Um, and and this movie has, it has one of the most beautiful, sad scenes I think I've ever seen in a film. And it's the one that I was referring to when we were talking about her. Yeah, life is sad, um, but good. Life is sad, but good. So, so here you've got a scene that's very similar to the one in her, where R- Ryan Gosling has a hologram girlfriend. Yeah, so she's a lot more real than the OS in her, but he still can't touch her. Yes, yeah. Um, played really well by Anna de Armas. She's who's great. Going to be, she's going to be in the next Bond movie as well. Yeah. Um, which is another thing that gives me hope about the next Bond is you know they've got this really great cast of people in it. Is really it still writer. Daniel Craig? So it's still Daniel Craig, okay, um, which is good because he's one of those people that thinks Bond is a shitbag, and I I like that we've got a lead in a Bond series who thinks that Bond is a shitbag. And do you have to embrace um, it? Yes. Yeah. Are exactly. they going to give it a title that's more than one word? Because one word Bond, one word titles, or at least no, sorry, I mean, one. If it's going to be one word, it has to have more than two syllables. Yes. Um, so Skyfall, it... no. Spectre, no. <laughs> Goldeneye, yes. Goldeneye, yeah. Goldeneye is the um, best Bond film. I'm going to put that out there now. Fucking Goldeneye fight is... me, 50-year-old men who like golf. <laughs> Goldeneye is really, really good. I I love Goldeneye. Um, I also like Skyfall a lot. Um, those are probably I don't know if favorites. I've even seen it. It's very good. It's a really interesting deconstruction of Bond in general. Um, and that's what I really liked about it. It 
it really gets into the guts of the character and you see you have this mirror image of him um versus well, i won't spoil it but versus the villain of the movie um and it's a lot more intimate and i don't know it, it does some interesting things which i really like is it javier um, bardet yes yeah i really like him who is great so so the next the next bond though is called no time to die that's good that sounds like a bond good. film that sounds like yeah. a bond title yeah so yeah it's I, i'm excited about that but but in 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 blade Runner 2049 anna de armas plays joy who is it's like a shop bought girlfriend companion yeah you can I buy suppose. her for the wallace corporation because the hench lady who chases him the badass hench lady she loves to say i hope you're satisfied with our product because that's yes. capitalism. Because that's Woo. capitalism. You, we own your emotions now. But you you do get this. And, and so it, it does a really good job. Having that relationship does a really good job of summing up the the isolation of being a, a replicant in the world where you can't even have a genuine connection with other replicants. Um, and you have to rely on a store-bought companion. But also the isolation of not being able to touch them. Um but you still get a sense that there is this emotional connection between them as well, which is really important. Yeah, and it's just like it doesn't really explain whether replicants are allowed to have relationships with humans or with each other or whatever, or how it, how it all really works, because they're all just kind of free and out there in the world. Which is, but then you know that there's all this kind of really weird shit under the surface, which is very effective. Yes, and kind of like our current problems under late capitalism. Yes, and, and what's particularly interesting is that you know it's. There's these uh, Ryan Gosling's character K. He constantly has to go through this process of showing that he's compliant, I suppose. Um, and if he shows too much emotion or resilient or, or resistance, um, then he's going to be killed by the state because he's no longer reliable as a murderer of other robots. Yeah, he's going to fail a test. Which is just so fucked up. It's so unbelievably horrible. Um, and it, it adds this level of tension. And so you get the sense that he has to maintain this isolation for himself. Um, but instead you, you have this beautiful scene where, where, um, where Joy, um, gets the assistance of, uh, Mariette, played by Mackenzie Davis, who I don't know if you've seen her in anything else. I didn't recognize her, no. Um, so she's been in, um, Black Mirror before. She's in the Terminator movie that comes out later this year as well. All right. Um, she, she's good. She's good. And in this, yeah, she plays Mariette, who, who ends up, spoiler alert, ends up being part of this underground, um, replicant resistance movement. Um, but there's a scene where she is hired by Joy to be her body. And so you get this amazing visual effect of Joy as a hologram sort of tuning herself in and moving at one, but not quite with with Mariette. Um, and it's a wonderful scene. And it really, I don't know, much more than her, it sets the scene for that isolation and it sets the scene for that bittersweet romance between the two of them, where they can never truly connect in that way. Yeah, it's 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 very very good, and but nobody ends up crying in a bathroom afterwards. So it's definitely got the one up on her in that sense. <laughs> yes, yeah. There's there's very little crying in bathrooms in this. Movie. But it's it's exploring the same thing. It's like that. What constitutes a meaningful connection between two people? What constitutes romance? What constitutes love? And does it matter if you've been made rather than born? And obviously the answer is no. Yes. Yeah. And and it really. And and it helps add even further to the gut punch of the movie as well. So I I really love how this film undermines your expectations, where all the way through you're thinking, Ryan Gosling is the special child born from a replicant. He is the chosen one, almost. And I, I always like it when movies go away from the chosen one narrative and they go away from the main character is the ultimate hero and and the most important person in the film. You're right, actually. And there was a part, a part of me that when it started going down that route was like, is it really him, actually? Because it, it actually didn't feel like that was right. But it felt like it was right just enough for you to follow it. And then when it wrong-footed you, you were like, of course you're going to do that, but I still feel wrong-footed. So that's like, that element of the narrative I thought was really good, actually. Yeah, I, I really love that. And you feel that frustration of Ryan Gosling where you think he thinks to himself, I found a way out of this life and I found a purpose and a meaning. And instead, everything falls apart for him. 
It's like, no, nope, you're just a regular old replicant, buddy. You're just a regular robot who murders other robots who we're eventually going to put down. You think you had a lovely horse when you were a kid, but it actually belonged to the woman in the glass chamber. Yes. Um, but, but I think that whole thing works incredibly well. And it really, it plays into the themes of the first movie again, where it's, you know, it's playing with your conceptions of what a hero is and what, um, what it means to be that hero and what it means to have purpose. Yeah. Which I mean, I really he liked. he is the hero because he does heroic acts, but nobody in this film really feels like a hero. No, no. And the same is true of of the original Blade Runner, of course. Yes, yeah. It's almost like you're given this this snapshot into this world through one story, just filled with regular people. And I I suppose this one's a little bit different because you see what might be a world-changing event whereas in the first one the only thing that feels particularly particularly important i suppose is is um the death of the what's he called the um the creator of the replicants oh um oh, i don't know i can't remember what's his name i've forgotten his character's name tyrell um, tyrell yeah eldon yeah. tyrell eldon tyrell oh yeah is yeah. he the one who gets his eyes pushed in Yes, that yeah. in a very gruesome Which is scene. Horrible, <laughs> yeah. really horrible, really nasty. Um, and and so you see that you see this this capitalist megalomaniac get murdered, and that's obviously going to have ramifications down the line for the world. But it's you know there's always another billionaire is is the thing. Even in this world, oh look, that billionaire died. Oh, oh there's plenty more where that came from. Yeah, someone someone's always going to fill that void. Whereas it's Musk's in, all the way down. <laughs> Whereas in in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, you do get that sense at the end that something cataclysmic has happened. This is going to upend the remnants of society on Earth. Yeah, Ryan Gosling wouldn't be lying down in the snow if that wasn't the case, right? Yes, he knows yeah. he's done something big. Otherwise, yes, he'd exactly. be off. He'd be like, "Hey, I need to go do some do some more like subversive shit." Yeah, and and. But do you think he's dead at the end, or do you think he's... No, I think I think he's fine. I think he's just having a little sleep. Yeah, that's what I choose to believe. He just needed to rest. I think he's pulling... You've, you've seen Drive, haven't you? No, I don't think I actually have. Oh, okay. Well, I won't say what I was about to say then. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Um, I've listened yeah, to the soundtrack, because it pops up every now and then on Spotify. It is a very good soundtrack. Um, we should talk about Drive sometime, because that's a, that's a full-on romantic movie. Yeah, that would be um, good. But yeah, it's I I really love these two movies, and I didn't watch them back to back because they're both incredibly long. Yeah, and they both feel incredibly long as well. But I watch them over sort of a few nights in pieces, which is kind but, of what you do when you have a small child. <laughs> yes, um, but but I feel as though they complement each other incredibly well, and it the the real rare thing is that the fan reaction to Blade Runner twenty forty nine in general has been unbelievably positive. Yeah. Um there's very few Blade Runner fans that were disappointed in how 2049 did it. No, but Blade Runner doesn't have like weird stands like Star Wars or whatever, does it? Not that that's really a fair thing because it's not a franchise as such. Yeah. So so it's got very you know, it's got this real following. People lots of people will say that Blade Runner is their favorite movie. Um and people are passionate about it, but I suppose it's not been franchised in the same way. No, and, it, and if it had, you you would feel it, that it was very, very hollow indeed for a film like that to be making the kind of comment that it makes on capitalism. Yeah, because I think in terms of thinking of the Blade Runner franchise, I think there was some additional books made off the back of it. Not by Philip K. Dick himself. No, Phil, Philip K. Dick. I think Philip oh, K. Dick Oh, no, because he died before it came out. Yeah, Yeah, right. so we saw a very early screening of it. And he was okay with it because there was one version of the script that he hated and wouldn't let them do, wasn't there? Yes. Yeah. Which is yeah, which is which is really interesting. But I think he was happy with the way that the final one sort of came out. Um well, well not the final, but the version that he saw he was happy with the vision that Ridley Scott had. Yeah. Um but apart from that, you know, you've got you've got Do Android Dream of Electric Sheep, the book that it's based off, which is very good. Does it deviate much from the book? I haven't read it. Yes, they're quite different, actually. So the core, much like with a lot of Philip K. Dick stuff, the core concept is retained, but there's lots of different stuff. There's this whole thing in the book. They make a much bigger emphasis on the ownership of fake animals 
um and there's this whole religious sex that's going on right um so it's it's quite different um but then yeah they made um they made some novels off the back of the success of the movie there were the um, plush plush toys obviously plush toys there was the um, happy meal promotion in 95 <laughs> exactly there's uh comics and then i think they've made a couple of video games but that's it right yeah um so so it's not been given how iconic it is they've really not taken advantage of that yeah it's, um, it's really interesting in that way it's the calvin is... and Hobbes of neo-noir sci-fi films <laughs> exactly, exactly you know that if you see any calvin and Hobbes merch it's fake yes yeah it's why there's so many of calvin pissing on stuff <laughs> yeah very very good real t-shirts that's what i like yeah exactly um yeah so so one of the games actually was incredibly good you can't get it anymore which is a real shame um, what platform was so it's a p it's a pc adventure game um very very narrative driven and um i remember playing it back in the day and being fascinated by it but it's kind of become abandoned where i suppose now where i don't know whether it's a rights issue or what have you but it's yeah it's really fascinating and it, it, it acts as this kind of parallel story so it's going on almost at the same time as the original film um but with a different character so it's a different um a different blade runner um and so yeah it's really interesting and i wish they'd find a way to re-release it somewhere because it is that's really cool super awesome so abandonware kind of... is that the terminology for when a game sort of disappears from consciousness yes exactly i've never heard um, that before yeah so it's often you'll find a lot of it when there's like rights issues and things like that and so you can't get support for it anymore you can't buy it anymore is this why i can't play mcdonald land anymore that is exactly why you can't play McDonald Land anymore. But yeah, so, um, but it but it tied in really well, and it shows that generally people have got the themes of Blade Runner right. That even in sort of cross media and even in sequels and things like that, people really understand the core concepts of it, which is yeah, quite rare sure. in things that are as popular. Although, it is, yeah, but I think the the team that put Blade Runner twenty forty nine together had the right idea, and they're good people for that kind of thing. I mean, Denny Villeneuve was great, and they got Hampton Fancher, who worked on the original screenplay, back. So I guess that they had a good team. It was set up to do well. Yes, yeah, and and uh, the the parallels run quite deep because also much like the original Blade Runner twenty forty nine did not do that great at the box office. Yeah, which is a bit of a shame, but. I don't know, an, a niche sequel to a cult classic sci-fi movie renowned for its ponderous pace and interesting concepts over action. It's not for everyone. Um, and I think no. if you if you go and see it without having seen the original, it's fine. You will probably get what's going on, but it won't be as impactful. It won't make as much sense. Yeah, I, I think it does rely on you having an understanding of the first movie. But you, but... you do have to pay attention. It's, it's, it's yes, a kind of film yeah. where you do have to pay attention and it is very very slow just like the original and you know most people are idiots most people most people don't like that most people just want smash bang wallop films they want shoot the robots man yeah Why you know shooty the robot yeah kill kill the robots then give me some more explosions why is yes. dave batista in this and he's dying he's supposed to be the one backflipping with two guns <laughs> exactly exactly but yeah, it's it's um, and it's it's intelligent. Both films, well, they're intelligent without being pretentious as well. It really, really strikes yeah. that balance of having some kind of depth and asking philosophical questions and feeling like it's raising a lot of stuff and telling a nuanced story without trying to be really highfalutin. It still feels like an accessible sci-fi film, and, and that's something that director Denis Villeneuve has really nailed. I don't know if you've seen any of his other movies. I don't know if I have. Um, what else has he done? He he's one of my favourite directors. So he did Prisoners, which is um the first thing I saw that he made, which is a really good Ah, um, he's from Quebec. Sort of, he is from Quebec. I love Quebec. It's a really good sort of drama about the disappearance of these um young girls. Um starring your favourite boy, actually, um, Paul Dano. Oh, no way. Um, so it's Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, Paul Dano, Viola Davis. Great. It's cast. a really it's a really interesting movie about 
having faith in the police, masculinity and looking after your own family, trusting the people around you and perceptions of people who you distrust in your own community. It's this really powerful movie that really should have been nominated for more awards because it's one of the one of the best films I think I've ever seen, to be honest. He then did Sicario, which is a really good mind bending crime thriller um, and then really hit the major leagues with Arrival. I've heard good things about that, which is an intelligent science fiction movie that isn't up its own ass. We need more of those, don't we? We do. Um, and his next film is going to be June. Yeah, I just saw that. I didn't know that. Which is so cool. That's great. I'm just looking at the cast now. Everyone's in it. Yes, it is the movie that has everyone in it as well, which is great. Oscar Isaac, um, Jason Momoa. Yep, Stellan Skarsgård. Dave Bautista, obviously. He's in George all of Brolin, his films. Um, Javier Bardem. No, I haven't. Um, <laughs> um, and so... so yeah, I think he's the perfect choice to do an adaptation of G. I noticed he hasn't got Sting back, though. Sting is not back, unfortunately. I'm I bet, I bet you Sting still owns the, those like metal eagle pants that he wore he, in the. <laughs> he better, he better <laughs> do. Um, yeah, so I think he's the perfect choice for it because I think with Blade Runner, he showed, well, with Arrival, he showed that he can create something powerful out of science fiction powerful and thoughtful with blade runner he showed that he can use an existing license that is incredibly well loved and that people are very protective over and turn it into something fresh and something exciting and so i think i don't think there's another director that i'd rather be directing june apart from you know the obvious michael um, bay, michael bay. <laughs> <laughs> richard linklater richard linklater's june it takes four thousand years to make yeah, he's very, very literal in his approach. Yes, he waits war. until he waits until the spice wars have begun. Um, and you know, you know me; I love the David Lynch version of Gene. But... Yeah, it's so weird and so off the wall and so out there, and it's really troubled. But you can't help but love it. Yeah, but I, I want a good adaptation. Yeah, <laughs> I, want, I want a Gene movie that will wow me, not with how weird it is, but with how powerful and beautiful it is and i think denny villeneuve is probably the the best choice for that yeah um, that's great because, i'm excited about that because there's so much depth in june as a novel that david lynch didn't get into the final version david lynch you know he's a pretty thoughtful filmmaker yeah that hopefully denny villeneuve will be able to do it yeah that's exciting but i thought he did a fantastic job with this and even though it is a little bit too long it still feels it feels right because it it has as i said it has the languidness of the first one and i i can understand why with the first one the the studio went back and said we need to do a voiceover on this because as i say it it jars a little bit with the style of how films are now and it would have done so then as well films aren't like that films don't generally have that much silence and that much humming and that much buzzing and all of this kind of just atmospheric stuff you know unless they're kind of pretentious arty films so for a sci-fi film to do that um is just really really impactful and it would have been so easy for the sequel not to do that wouldn't it but it does it would it would <clears throat> and 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 yeah it, it really manages to it feels more barren i think than the first film um in part because you're visiting other parts of the world you're like you know you're visiting vegas and things like that get a little bit of an elvis show in there you do which is fascinating and so you you get all of the the busy hubbub of LA but then you also get what the rest of the world looks outside of the city which you didn't really get with the original Blade Runner um so I I think it does a very good job of you know sharing this wider wider vision of what the world's like um the only thing I wish they'd done differently was that in the initial trailers for the film they revealed that Harrison Ford was in it and I think it would have been so much better if they'd kept that a complete secret right up until audiences saw him in the film for the first time. Yeah, definitely. Because I think, you know, a lot of people saw the trailers and thought, oh, Harrison Ford's back. That's cool. It's going to be him hunting more replicants. Yeah, he's going to be, he's going to be, he's, you know, and everyone expected um, Ryan Gosling to be the lead, of course, but they thought that, you know, Harrison Ford would play more of a supporting role, whereas he's actually a much more minor character in this in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, he doesn't appear till about two hours in. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I think if they'd kept that secret entirely, um, that would have been 
amazing if they'd done that so i think it's a bit of a shame that they didn't manage to keep it a secret i wonder if they knew that in the age of social media that's just impossible it's impossible to have that impact because one idiot goes to see it and he goes oh harrison ford is in it on twitter and then it's gone it's out there yes the public domain that's true but it can't keep secrets no more but it still would be secret up until the movie came out and you've seen movies that have been able to do that like woody harrelson in venom has a cameo at the end of venom you you can keep those secrets and it's unlikely that someone like that would leak majorly i think they probably could have kept it a secret and then that would have created an additional social media buzz around it of people saying you know because the clickbait headlines everywhere will be there's a surprising cameo in blade runner 2049 i wonder who it is it's boris johnson it's gaff (laughs) gaff's back yeah (laughs) um it's jared leto as himself (laughs) <laughs> yeah jared leto didn't even know they were filming yeah that's just that's just his house the 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 extra playing the replicant wasn't supposed to get stabbed jared leto just pulled out a knife in the middle of filming and stabbed her yeah they were actually they were shooting the cover for the new 30 seconds to mars album and then he just decided to do a monologue because that's what yeah, he does that, that's exactly right he gets and his the- friends around they have a couple of beers and he's like okay guys settle down come into the big room with the water gotta show you something I've got to, I've got to be Jesus for a moment, fellas. He's in his Jesus Christ pose. <laughs> so yeah, the other thing that I really love about Blade Runner is how it was a complete disaster behind the scenes. And I don't know if you've seen any documentaries about the making. Of no, movie. I haven't. I would be interested to find um, out. I I really recommend you do so because <laughs> was it like on the level of Super Mario Brothers kind of disaster? Yeah, pretty pretty much actually. It, really? Nothing went according to plan. Um, and so it's a real uh, measure of art through diversity. You can sort of guess that by the fact that there are so so many different versions of the film and the changes made to it and everything. But I think. It's still so good at its core that I'd imagine that even any of the other versions will still work. Although, as you say, the voiceover would make it seem a bit more basic. Yeah, because I think you've you've got these three versions and, you know, everyone has disowned the original version now. I don't even know if you can get it anywhere. I think you can basically just get the final cut or the the, uh, director's cut. Right. But yeah, it was a real mess behind the scenes and real struggles, um, financial trouble, things like that. Um, a lot of the sets that they used, they repurposed from old 1950s uh, gumshoe movies. Ah, that's which cool. They then sort of rebranded and put all of this extra stuff over them. So yeah, it's it's really fascinating. I highly recommend uh, that I've got the original on Blu-ray and it, it comes with an extra disc that basically has this really long documentary about the making of Blade Runner. But yeah, so I highly recommend people find that and give it a watch because it is, you know, it's really interesting to hear about how difficult it was to make this film. That's really cool. Um, But yeah, so it's good. I I love these movies and I'm glad that you enjoyed 2049 because it's one of those sequels that I think really does a great job of not just being a faithful sequel, but also almost making the original better through its existence it really really adds to the universe and to the stories and the questions posed and you never get the feeling that it's a cash-in or that it's a like a a cynical remake or whatever or that kind of thing or that it was rushed out to make a quick buck you get the feeling they really took their time with it it was the right time to do it they they aged the characters appropriately with it you know they took a lot of very very good artistic decisions that i think all really really paid off and as you say in a cinematic landscape that is full of cynical remakes and sequels and cash-ins and a whole bunch of bollocks it really stands out actually yes it, it it's really something great um i've just done a quick google if you want to watch it the my, the definitive documentary it runs for about three and a half hours <laughs> okay um, it's called dangerous days oh yes i have i have heard about this i think actually i heard mark kermo talking about this on a podcast and saying how good it was Oh, okay. Well, if Mark Kermode says it's good, then yeah, it's it's worth watching. Cool. I will I will check that out. I might like put it on in the background at some if while I'm doing something else, ironing or something. Yeah, so that seems like an idea. ironing. Yeah, kind of definitely. Thing. But yeah, so so have you got anything else you'd like to share about? about uh, uh, let me see what else. Robin Wright in 2049. I thought she was very very good. You know, she's always good. Yeah, thing. she's she's great in this. Um, really. 
a very nasty performance from her, which is rare. Yeah. Um, and but- I also wrote down that I think Dino Hatton in the Super Mario Brothers film owes a debt to Blade Runner. Genuinely. Yes. <laughs> very much so. <laughs> um, you know, Blade Runner's had this huge impact and you can see it you know everywhere in sci-fi but yeah there's definite there's definite blade runner overtones in dino hatton it's part of the reasons why i love super mario so much yeah the greatest film of all time vote for cooper vote cooper vote cooper and at this point would cooper be worse than boris johnson Uh, probably not to be honest with you i'd I'd go for cooper yvette cooper yvette cooper Cooper. (laughs) yvette cooper Yeah, she's there with just like the kind of reptilian hair scraped back. <laughs> going, come and have a go, Boris, if you think you're hard enough. Yeah, I'm I'm totally on uh, down with that. And then she de-evolves him in the middle of the House of Commons. It's chaos. Yeah. Is it possible to de-evolve Boris well, yeah. Johnson? He's, he's very much a, a sort of Neolithic man already, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't understand how he can't resign. Or how the party can't force him to resign. He lied to the queen. Yeah, he, he tried to undermine. To he tried to undermine the entirety of our political system to be a ball bag, and that's what it comes down to. He's and a ball bag. he's defending it. This is the thing. He's standing up yeah. there in Parliament and going, "I was right to do it because the will of the people." The only thing I can say in positive about this is, you know, when those dickheads were going around a few years ago saying conservatism's the real punk rock. Oh yeah, <laughs> lol conservatism is punk rock doing your homework is punk rock yeah we're the real we're the real resistance we're the real resistance i can't think of establishment is is labor voters who live in islington ergo everyone else is punk rock to be to be fair though i can't think of anything more punk rock than lying to the queen but it it should be something the fascist regime it should be more a more outrageous lie, like going up to the Queen and being like, all right, Queenie, do you know dogs can't look up? <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, just going to be like, we're, we're putting in some legislation to uh, declare that the earth is flat. Is that cool? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something and like she that. can't say no. Don't, don't just try and she never instill, says no. Don't try and instill your tough brand of fascism. Come out, go, go balls in and be like, the sky is actually... A, a pale mauve color queen yeah. yeah it suits boris's complexion <laughs> so right have you got anything else to say about blade runner, or uh, blade runner 2049 just that um rutger hauer is perfect he's amazing it's an incredible performance and yeah at the moment when he reaches down and pulls deckard up is still like one of the kind of all-time greatest cinematic moments i think as is yeah the tears and rain speech it's all yeah it's all great yeah ruka hauer is wonderful i would say as well if if you think that you don't like sci-fi films give it a go because it's really really different to a lot of the other stuff out there it's not people shooting each other in space it's not lightsabers it's not any of that stuff you know it's really really nuanced and really good and really intelligent and just really interesting yes yeah it's 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 much more than its synopsis on Wikipedia. And the romance is there as well. Even though we're saying that it's such a kind of a background element, it is very much there. Yes. There yeah. is a romantic story there to get hold of. And and the way that it the way that it feeds into the second movie, I think really compounds it even further. So it's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a really interesting movie. I think they're both incredibly unique in different ways as well. So I, I highly recommend it, even if you think it's not your sort of film, to give them a watch. Yeah, if you, if you think it's not your, your sort of thing, you might be pleasantly surprised. And if yes, it is, definitely. well done. Yeah, well done. If you like Blade Runner, we like you. Yeah, that's going to be our tagline now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely. So I've got some trivia. So shall, shall yep, I start with? Me. Shall I start with Blade Runner? And hit then we'll me with your trivia. <laughs> So so the shining eyes effect in the first movie where the replicants have got that shine to their eyes. Oh, yeah. Um, it's actually a classic maneuver used in filmmaking where you shine light off a, be- off a mirror into their eyes at a certain angle and uh, it reflects in the eyes a bit like a cat's. Ah, um, that's and, really uh, cool. 
it, it, it's it's interesting how mirrors are used in cinema so like you know when you see a see footage in a movie of someone looking at themselves in the mirror yeah they they're not looking at themselves in the mirror in real life when the film is going on they're looking at the camera yes right and they have to then have the have the mirror at a strange angle so that they make sure that you can't see the camera in view and stuff like that i i love all of that behind the scenes filmmaking stuff but yeah so that's how they made their eyes shine um apart from that obviously the the most famous bit of trivia is that ruka Hauer basically made up a load of his speech at the end yeah yeah um which is gorgeous and i love ruka Hauer for it it was also his favorite movie that he made yes which, you know fair enough it's great because you and, know and- he also made Hobo with a Shotgun, so it's a tough <laughs> Which is a film that I really love. I really <laughs> love Hobo with a Shotgun as well, you know. But yeah, it it's not <laughs> it's not his best, and it's not the best. Uh, that is Blade Runner. Uh, apart from that, you know, uh, Zora's character uh, has the snake. That was her snake in real life. Oh, it was her very pet nice. snake. So. Moving on to Blade Runner 2049, Jared Leto's character, Nyanda Wallace, he wasn't the original choice to play that character. Oh. Do you know who was the original choice? Guy Fieri. <laughs> Close, but no cigar. <laughs> uh, David Bowie, who I think would have really? been really interesting in that role. Wow. But had, had David Bowie died before yes, they started filming? so that's, right. that's why they couldn't go ahead with that. But that actually would have been amazing. It would have been Bowie. I, I would have loved that. Yeah, it would have been incredible. What a selling point as well, if they had managed to do that. They, they definitely wouldn't have needed to put Harrison Ford on the poster if they'd had Bowie. No, exactly. Have old, have old Bowie there. That would have been great. Apart from that, there there's this really interesting use of recurring sounds. So there's this ambient noise that plays when they're at Deckard's, which was used in the original Blade Runner. But it was also a background noise in Alien as well. Ah. So they've got these kind of recurrences going on. And th- there is this kind of theory of the the universes of Blade Runner and Alien being interlinked and there's all these kind of Easter eggs between them of like um like Tyrell Corporation appearing in, in alien franchise stuff and things like that, which I think is pretty interesting. Um but I don't think it's actually happens. But it's it's nice that people are sort of making those links here and there. That's really cool. Which is which is yeah, which is nice. And there there's a similar thing where when when Kay meets Deckard, there's this same recurring sound of a bell which is the same as when Deckard enters the building for the sort of finale of the the original movie so again Uh, you've got that you've got that recurrence over and over again that's really cool I didn't notice that but that's really cool but yeah so so you've got all of those sign those signs of you know a real care and attention being made between the two so uh yeah that'll do for for trivia but yeah so how we how are we going to film these bad boys film them they already filmed it. <laughs> do you want to do it again? We're going yeah, to remake it This is going to be our new thing. We're going to remake Blade Runner, both of We're them. Go- yeah, but with Guy Fieri. Yeah. Fla- <laughs> Flavor Runner. Flavor Runner. Um, so... Um, Got to, yeah, stop those replicant cheeseburgers from <laughs> taking over Flavor Town. Exactly. So, so rather than how we're going to film it, how are we going to rate it? What's our rating system? And do you want to do them separately? Uh, I... I I wonder if we probably should, although it might, yeah, because I think the original is just slightly better, but they're good in different ways, and they do they do kind of work together, don't they? So maybe we should just kind of rate them as a whole. I suppose it's one episode. Right? Yeah, should we? Uh, no, let's do them separately. Let's do them separately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've I've made a gut change of change of opinion here. Um, so how many? Uh, how many noodles did you get into your bowl of noodles before you were interrupted to go and kill some robots? <laughs> for eat, Blade Runner? Eating them in the in the cop car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the original Blade Runner. Uh, let's see. I had 17 noodles, I think. Very good. Very good. I have had 19 noodles. Wow. I've eaten a fair few of my noodles Wow. Um, before I've reached it. Yeah. Um, Maybe maybe I'll even go as high as eighteen. I don't know. It's, it's, it's very very good. I can't think of faults. That's the thing. I think like, it's not. Yeah, it's, maybe it's not a twenty, but it's just like it's so it's good enough. I guess. Yeah. So it's a eighteen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So and then mm, how are we going to do? What? How are we going to rate twenty forty nine? 
So I'll 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 go lower and I'll, I'll just like you know I'll give it a sixteen. So it's still still very good, but like the ridiculousness of Jared Leto's performance does kind of just the, the chuckles I had of that does make me yeah just feel like it's not it just isn't as impactful I suppose and as unsettling and jarring and just incredible as the original, but it builds on it in such a brilliant way. So yeah, I think I'll just go slightly lower, sixteen. Yeah, and I think I'm gonna go. I'm going to go 17 for for 2049. Again, you're you're right in that it's impossible for it to have had the same impact as the original Blade Runner, but I think it does a really good job of continuing that theme and asking those difficult questions with such a beautiful, stunning movie as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a good one. I like it. It is. It's a good one. So what are, what's happening now? Because we're about to hit the month of october yep it's spooktober time rocktober we're, <laughs> we're we're getting ready for the scares we've got a month full of super scary terrifying movies to Ooh, watch it's going to be scary Ooh. well terrifying well terrifying so first up in our month of scares we have got tucker and dale versus evil i know i know i know nothing about this film i think you're going to like it yeah yeah um it's a good one it's about tucker carlson and dale winton oh great and they, my, my two <laughs> they, favorite people <laughs> they go they go on uh, an adventurous murder spree but find love at the same time no it's not that at all i thought it was um dale from chippendale with the new partner <laughs> and chris tucker chris tucker <laughs> yeah um yeah it's it's great i won't i won't say too much about it but think think you know how we watch behind the mask wait did uh, we, have we have we watched behind no, the mask no we've never, we've never watched behind the mask ah well we should we should watch behind the mask sometime but is that like it, the mask no, not quite. But but it's basically a a movie that undermines your expectations of a slasher film in a very funny funny way. Cool, cool. With some with some romance mixed in. All right, why not? Um yeah, so that's what we'll have for you next week as we begin the spooky Halloween season. Ooh, but still with romance cuz that's still what we with like. Love. We that's need what love. we do. Yes, in love and murder. <laughs> definitely yeah love and death that's what we like that's exactly what we want <laughs> all right well thank you very very much for listening we really really appreciate it i hope you enjoy blade runner and blade runner 2049 um we'll be back next week to talk about tucker and dale versus evil i genuinely didn't really say chip and dale then <laughs> chip and dale versus evil yeah i would watch that <laughs> definitely all right <laughs> all okay. right bye bye <laughs> They're all to be alone